0: church, developing a culture of loving Christ and serving others. Jed, I have the best job here. I'm the youth pastor, uh, which means I get to be a pastor, but also kind of immature at the same time. Uh, Pastor Seth and his family, they are on a well-deserved, well-earned vacation. They're having a lot of fun over in California, and I get the pleasure, the privilege, the honor this morning of sharing God's word with you. Before I go into it, though, I just want to share with you what God is doing in our church. Something that I am so excited for. Pastor Johanna and myself, we've had the immense pleasure of being over in the youth room to take people through Growth Track. If you don't know what Growth Track is, we've been doing it for a, a couple months now. It's the first Sunday of the month. And the first Sunday of the month, we always start a new growth track. It's the same same series. It's four weeks, when we just continue to go through it and continue to go through it. If you haven't been through growth track, I would encourage you, plan on going through it. It's it's so much fun. Uh, it's not too late. You can go there next week and, and, and jump in on week two and, and not feel like you you're out of place. You can just stick around, and then when week one rolls around, you can sit in for that week one. But what growth track is, is it's a time where we just get to look at what God is doing in our church and who he created us to be. We get to see our our purpose, our design. We see that God has gifted us with, with so many unique talents, and then we get to see Pastor Johanna, myself, it's so much fun just seeing people get involved in the life of the church, become the, the body of the church, and use their talents and what they, what they are good at to bring life to the church. And so I would encourage you go over, be a part of Growth Track. It's a great way to, to get to know people, and even more than that, to just see how God, there's no accidents. God, God's never ha- made an accident. And that includes you. You are all created for a purpose. You all have unique talents and giftings. And we would love to see see you use them to just bring life into the church. And so I'd encourage you, plan on going to Growth Track, And then don't miss next week. We we are doing One Minute After You Die next week. I'm excited for Pastor Johanna. She's going to be talking about the glory of heaven as we see just what God's word says that as followers of Christ, what is waiting for us, what we have to look forward to in eternity with him. You don't want to miss it. And last week, we started this One Minute After You Die series, and Pastor Seth, he talked about the reality of eternity, what eternity is, that it's it's permanent and it is real, that it's not some out there in the ether idea that somebody came up with, but there is an eternity waiting for us, that one minute after we die, we will we will already have been in that eternity for one minute. And last week, we just saw kind of what, what that looks like, as, as we saw just... Hell and heaven, and what it means to live in eternity, and each. I think a lot of us, we we have a pretty good concept of a lot of things we do in our life. Well, when I do, when I start this, this, here's what I want to be doing in one minute. I know for me and for a lot of us, when we wake up in the morning, one minute after we wake up, what are we doing? Coffee. We're on Facebook, right? If, If you're like me, you're on Facebook and you, you, want to wake up and see what everybody's up to and then you quickly realize it's just cat videos and recipes you don't care about and you wonder why you ever look at Facebook anymore. You, you, you also, if you're like me and your your wife drags you to some, some party and you don't really know anybody, I know that one minute after I get there I need to start planning my exit strategy. I need to start planting those seeds of oh I got this going on in the morning, this is why I gotta go, right? If you're like me, you, you, you start planning that maybe even before you, you get there. Uh, if you're also like me, I, I love me some Taco Bell. I, I will eat Ewa- Taco Bell as often as I can. But I always know one minute after I finish my meal, I'm going to have a little bit of a rumbly tummy, May- maybe some regret, but also just knowing that I love those Doritos tacos, and so it was all worth it in the end. Last week, we, we looked at eternity one minute after we die. Eternity is so important, and yet there's so many of us that don't know what is waiting one minute after we die? And so that's why we're going through this series. That's why we want to look at what is going to take place one minute after we die. Eternity is important. It's the most important thing. Eternity outweighs temporary every time. And so last week, Pastor Seth, we looked at the what of hell. We, we, we talked about what is eternity, and we talked about heaven, but we also talked about hell and just what is it? And this morning, we're going to look even more at, at the why of hell. Why is hell real? Why is hell important as non-believers and even as believers? Why is it important that we know what hell is and that we recognize that it is real? And before I go any further, I will just admit, if we're being honest, this isn't the most fun subject to talk about. This isn't something that I relish talking about. But I do recognize that it's important. I do recognize the importance that we know what hell is, that we can rest assured in what hell is. It is so important that during Christ's ministry here on earth, He talked about hell more than heaven because it's important what we believe. And, and, and when done properly, when we have a proper understanding of hell, it, we see just God's grace reflected in the gospel. We see that, we, that Christ's sacrifice meant even so much more in light of what is waiting for us apart from Him. And we also see that as followers of Christ, we have to live with that urgency. We have a an important and a precious calling placed on our life, and it's important that we don't ignore that, but that we live with that passion and that urgency to demonstrate and proclaim God's grace in our lives and other people's lives. When done sloppily, we just have this unhelpful fear of hell. Maybe we have some kind of rough concept of it. Or even worse is we we make hell something that it isn't. We say, well, it can't, it can't really be real, right? You can't have a fully loving God and the concept of hell. God can't be just and be love. And so we just kind of ignore it or we downplay it. But the truth is is that we believe in the righteousness of a holy God and the indescribable horrors of hell. And if we don't accept the reality of hell, we can never fully appreciate the glory of of his gospel, of his good news. Before we go any further, let's pray this morning. Father God, I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would give me the words to speak, Father, that your, your Holy Spirit would just speak through me, Lord. And Lord, I pray for every person in here, every person watching online, every person listening to the podcast, Father, that you would prepare their hearts, prepare their minds, Lord, that they would hear the words they need to hear, Father, and that we would just, as, as one, just be united in recognizing that hell is a reality that hell is horrible and that you are so good and that your grace is so sufficient, Father, and that your son paid such a precious, such an important price, Lord, when he died on the cross for us, Lord, and I pray that we would just, as followers of Christ, live lives that are shaped by the reality of hell, but more importantly, by who we are and the importance, the love that you showed when you died on the cross for us and that we have something better waiting for us If we simply surrender our lives to you, Father, we thank you praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a culture today where hell is kind of a taboo. Hell is not fun to talk about. Maybe some of you, as soon as I started saying the word hell, you're like, "Uh, I don't know if I should be here today, right? Hell is a taboo subject, and a lot of us... Our culture, our world today, it's becoming more and more common to say, well, hell hell really isn't real. Hell isn't really important. It's, a lot of people nowadays will actually joke about hell. Mark Twain said this. He said, go to heaven for the climate and go to hell for the company. And there's kind of that misconception. You hear a lot of rock stars saying, well, yeah, I'm going to live a wild life, and I hope when I die I get to go to hell because that's where the party is. Everything that I like, all that, all that sin, all that partying, all the drugs, all the women, that's what's waiting for me in hell. That's where all the fun people go. Uh, John Paul Sartre, he said this. He, he was a philosopher, and he said, hell is other people. And as I was looking at this, I found it very interesting. He had a girlfriend of like 50-plus years and how do you think his girlfriend felt whenever he said, hell is other people? And she's another person. I just have to wonder how she felt about that. But hey, she stuck around for over 50 years, so I don't know. Apparently he was charming, even though he said, hell is other people. Truth is this. The reason that we're talking about eternity, the, the reason that we're doing One Minute After You Die, if you're taking notes, write this down. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today, and we see this playing out in our world. Uh, A recent study has shown that 74% of Americans believe in heaven. That's a good thing, right? It's good that the 74, almost three-quarters of Americans, they believe in heaven. The problem is, is those same people, only four in 10, believe that those who reject Christ spend eternity in hell, and even more shocking than that is one half of a percent, half of 1% of people believe that they personally are going to hell. We all live in Utah, if you've ever driven down I-15, you're pretty sure more than half a percent of people are going to hell after you drive around Utah drivers for a while and you try and, try and merge in this state, right? And you quickly realize just how many people are, are bound for hell. More and more more and more of us, more and more Christians are allowing our culture to influence our view of eternity rather than the Bible to influence our view of eternity. But Jesus is very clear. He says in his, in his words, this is Matthew 7, it says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many, everybody say many, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few, everyone say few, only a few, it. I'm a youth pastor, this is how I make sure people are paying attention, as I make them repeat words after me, many enter through the gate of destruction, and only a few through the narrow road that leads to life. I served four years in the military, I, I was airborne infantry Um, I was deployed to Iraq on two separate occasions. I remember the first time going over there, we very quickly realized that to catch the people we wanted to catch, to catch those people who were causing all sorts of trouble for so many people, the best strategy wasn't just to go in, guns blazing, show of power, let them know just how strong we were, because they'd simply hide away and then wait till later. And so what we do... Is we would sneak into certain towns or villages. We'd sneak into houses and set up on people's roofs, sometimes for days, just laying in an ambush, just waiting for for them to show up. And it's amazing that they would what people would do when they thought that nobody was watching, when they thought that they didn't have to worry about the consequences of what they were doing. And we caught way more people just by simply lying low, by by hiding the fact that we were there and we'd catch people going and setting up bombs and setting up all kinds of ambushes and then we would turn it right back around on them. If I were the devil, I would try and convince you that there is no hell. Not to take it seriously. We don't need to worry about that. It's not real and as we see, only half of a percent actually believe it's real and believe that they're going there. The devil, he could show his power, he could show just how all all the weapons he has, but the problem is this, is that if he wants to play that game, God just shows how powerful he is and Satan loses every time. And so the devil, it seems like he's taken this tactic where he wants to hide himself. He wants to convince people, I'm not real. You don't have to worry. You can do whatever you want to do. No one's watching. There is no penalty for doing what you're doing. And we live in a world today where people live however they want. It's easy for us to justify sin and even easier for us to reject Christ. That we don't have to fear God. There's nothing waiting on the other side. And what's even more heartbreaking than that is there's believers in Christ who think it's not a big deal, it's not important. I can live this self-centered life, I can idolize comfort, I can reject sacrifice, I can avoid persecution, I can enjoy all the comforts that this world has to offer, rarely sharing the truth with anybody. And so this morning, I want to talk about the why of hell because it's important. It's important that we understand it and it's even more important for those people who don't understand it that we understand it. I'm going to talk about the why of hell so we can leave here with confidence that it is real and it doesn't run counter to God's love but actually when you understand the horrors of hell and the glories of heaven you see God's love show up even more in his word. It doesn't diminish God's love but it exemplifies it and as followers of Christ it is important that we live with that reality so that we can stand up and proclaim the truth for those who need to hear it. To bring hope to those people who have no hope. So this morning I want to look at why does hell exist? In God's word we see two two reasons why hell exists. First reason is this. Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. You guys ever thought about that? Hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. And this is kind of, I would make the argument, kind of the good news of hell is Satan, for all his, all his evil, all his scheming, all his power, he is going to face an eternity of suffering when all is sudden done, and I'm pretty okay with that. Satan, in our culture, we, we view him as this harmless guy, red pitchfork. You see him in cartoons a lot around Halloween. You, you see shelves full of just Satan outfits. He's not a big deal, May, maybe kind of a little, little menace here and there, but, but not really a big deal. But if you look at God's Word, Satan is the embodiment of all evil. Behind every addiction is Satan. Behind all abuse is Satan. Behind all fear is Satan. Behind all pain, behind all shame is Satan. In God's Word, he's referred to as the destroyer, the deceiver, the dragon, the dark angel, the serpent. He is our adversary, He is our enemy. Satan is the tempter. He is the wicked one. He is the thief who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the father of lies. He is the prince of darkness. He is the angel of the abyss. He steals joy. He kills faith. He destroys health. He ruins finances, obliterates marriages, and wants to take our children. But hell exists for God to deal righteously with Satan. In the grand scheme of things, when it all comes down to eternity, Satan's not going to get away with anything. He's going to face that eternal torment, that eternal punishment. Revelation 20.10, John is having this vision of the end times, and he writes this. It says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever Maybe you've never heard that before. Maybe you have heard that before. I just like to say that out loud just to remind Satan of what's coming for him. (laughs) He will be tormented forever and ever. Hell exists to deal righteously with Satan. But the second reason is this. Hell exists to deal righteously with unbelievers. This is the part that's not fun to talk about, but it's important that we understand this. And as I say that, that's not a popular statement to make nowadays. Hell exists to deal righteously with unbelievers. For a lot of us, you say, well, that's not fair. That's not right, right? You can't send good people to hell. God surely could never send good people to hell. Or maybe once they're there, if they cry out, then then they can get back out, right? They, They can come back. They can make amends for it. Hell is just there so God can work the hell out of them and then they can turn their lives back to Christ. But what's interesting about it is some of the, some of the voices that so loudly proclaim that it's not fair to have a concept of judgment and eternal punishment are the same voices that loudly proclaim the need for justice here on earth. It's the same voices that say no You can't allow all this bad stuff to happen. How can God allow all these bad things to happen? Why isn't there any punishment for it? I mean, if we talk about Hitler, Pol Pot, Chairman Mao, Joseph Stalin, these people who have murdered murdered millions of people, yeah, 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 yeah. Hell is good. They should go to hell. But not my neighbor. They helped me shovel snow this winter. I mean, yeah, they've never accepted Christ, but God is loving, Right? fact of the matter is, is God is not a cosmic vending machine. I feel like it's easy to reduce him to that, as we view God as this cosmic vending machine. If we put in the right amount of money, if we push all the right buttons, then we get what we want when we want it, and only when we want it. Whatever we don't want, we simply just leave that cosmic vending machine alone. We want to remake God as we want him, so that we can live comfortably in our sins. Yeah, I know it's, I shouldn't have done this, but I'm a good person overall. I've done all this good stuff. It's not a huge deal. It's, it's cool. God and I are cool. It's no big thing. I, I have this example. For those of you who don't know what this is, this is called a mall and not a mall like the place you go where you can see people walking around in the mornings and it's keeping all the Orange Julius's in business and you go to the one in Riverdale and wonder how that mall still exists because no one's in there. It's not that kind of mall. It's mall is going to be mauled by a bear. This thing is made to destroy. If you can't see what it is, whoever invented this looked at a sledgehammer and said, that's good, but it needs an axe head on it, right? It, it's not destructive enough. This thing was made simply to destroy. I promise you it's heavier than it looks and I, I got to be careful because if I just even accidentally drop it, it'll put a hole in the stage. So what I want to do, just as an example, is I want to get a volunteer, and I'm going to stand up here, and I'm going to hold the mall like this, and if I could get a volunteer to come up and just lay down on the stage with their face right under the mall, and what I'll do, sit down, Josh, what I'll do <laughs> is for the next hour, I'm just going to hold this up for as long as I can, and I kind of slept on my arm funny last night, so I, I might drop it a few times. It's pretty heavy, but I promise you, if I drop it, I will pick it right back up as soon as I can, and I'm sure your face will be okay. gonna get a volunteer? Anyone? Just raise your hand. Yeah? Yeah? If your neighbor's raising your hand, just nudge them because they clearly haven't been paying attention to what I've been saying. It's easy for us to think, well, if I just mostly do the right thing, that's what matters. But let me ask you this. If you were laying underneath that and I just dropped it once, are you going to remember all the times that I didn't drop it or are you going to remember the time that I did drop it? because it is going to be destructive whatever it hits it's going to destroy it is impossible for god to be holy without being just says this in second in second thessalonians 1 8 and 9 he being god will punish those who do not know god and do not obey the gospel of our lord jesus They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. It's not fun to say. But the truth of the matter is, if we don't accept the reality of hell, if we don't accept the fact that we have all fallen short, that for too many people, Hell is an inevitable reality that they are heading towards blindly. If we don't accept the reality of hell, we can never appreciate the unfathomable glory of the gospel. You can't appreciate a life preserver until you realize that you're drowning. If we don't accept the reality of hell, if we just want to focus on, well, they're a good person. let them worry about it. If that's our mindset, how can we fully appreciate how much Christ sacrificed for us on the cross? Jesus gives us this glimpse of hell in the Gospel of Luke. It's in Luke 16 if you want to turn there. But I just want to focus on this for the next few minutes. Luke 16, Jesus is telling this story of the rich man and the beggar. And he picks up in Luke 16, 19, it says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Let's stop right here. Jesus' audience would have understood just what he was saying, because in this time, to be dressed in purple, we don't think that's a big deal right now. In today's day and age, a lot of you guys are wearing purple. But for that time, purple, to have purple clothing was very difficult and difficult very expensive the dye that was necessary to dye cloth purple it had to come from far away and so it was very expensive very difficult to get that's why if you ever look at look at old paintings or see those movies like the roman emperor wearing purple or you see the kings and they're wearing the purple robes and stuff like that purple showed status if you wore purple that meant you had a lot of money and the, the deeper the purple the more money you had And not only that, it says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen. Again, we hear fine linen, we don't think that's a big deal. In Jesus' time, to the audience he's talking to, linen was very, very expensive and very hard to get. If you were a vendor of linen and you just sold one linen item, you would make enough money to feed somebody for a year dressed in purple and fine linen, lived in luxury every day. This isn't just some normal schmo, this is like a Bill Gates type. This is somebody who has a lot of money and is living a very, very comfortable life. Pick up in verse 20, it says, at his gate was a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. And what this means is Lazarus wasn't actually sitting by the table waiting for food to fall, but back then, what wealthy people would do as a sign of status and just, just show how much money they had is when a meal was over, they didn't use napkins or paper towels. What they would do is they would wipe their hands with bread. The, the bread, it was, it was more effective. It cleaned the hands, and whenever they wiped it, crumbs would fall, and they would take those crumbs and feed them to the dogs as a sign of, of just what a good person they were. Growing up in my house, I will tell you, as I researched that, heard that people would, would wipe their hands with bread, I, I got it. Growing up in my house, I will tell you, I lived in my with my parents for 18 years. We never once bought napkins, and that is the honest truth. What we would do is my dad would take us to McDonald's or wendy's or burger king or something like that and we'd order food and then he would sit down and he he would go up to the napkin dispenser and just reach his hand up in and just take all the napkins out and when we left we would take all the napkins with us and so growing up he never bought napkins and i can tell you anecdotally the finest napkins come from wendy's if you ever see those those yellow napkins that was a sign of status in our house that that meant that we we had the good napkins What's even more alarming than that is the times where yellow napkins would just show up and we hadn't been to Wendy's in a long time. I'm pretty sure my dad would just go in there and steal a bunch of napkins and just, hey, how you doing? Walk out carrying all the napkins, right? (laughs) And even more than that is you did not touch the paper towels in my house. we, We had paper towels. I'm pretty sure they were for display purposes only. I never once saw anybody in my house use a paper towel. If you ever did have the gall to use a paper towel, you'd have to go out and get a second job so you could pay my dad back for that paper towel. The, the first, true story, with the first paycheck I got for my first job, I went and bought a roll of paper towels, and I thought I was living large. I kept them down in my room, and I would go up. And I would eat my lunch, and I'd just set my paper towels right there, and I'd get and I'd be like, Yeah, right? I could tear off that, that paper towel. I could use two paper towels if I wanted to. They were mine. I'd bought it with my money, and I felt like I had made it because I used paper towels. Here's this rich man using bread. He would use bread to wipe off his hands. Whatever crumbs fell, they'd gather up and throw out to the dogs. As we read this story, It's easy to think, the man wasn't doing anything wrong. He's not persecuting Lazarus. He's not not abusing the poor people. But he wasn't doing anything. This rich man wasn't doing anything. Luke 16, picking up at 22, it says, A time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, verse 23. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. We start to get this glimpse of just what hell is. We start to get this glimpse of this place of unspeakable torment of unending horror it's referred to in scripture as this this fiery furnace this place reeking of burning sulfur of the gnashing of teeth of weeping and it quickly undoes that mindset that says well at least i'll know people in heaven at least all my friends are there that's where all the party people are and while we know that there's a lot of people in hell. We see it's a place of isolation. It's a place, it's referred to as outer darkness, a place of no light, of no people, of no relationship, of no hope. In in Revelation, we see the angels describe what happens to those who are separated from Christ. Revelation 14, starting in verse 10, it says, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full into the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning sulfur and the presence of the holy angels and of the Lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. In Scripture, when we see the word hell, the the word hell, translated as hell, is actually Gehenna. Everyone say Gehenna. Everyone say Gehenna. There we go, I know you're awake. Gehenna, you all learn some Greek now, right? We We all feel smarter. The word Gehenna, and Gehenna comes from... The meaning comes from actually the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom. It means the place of everlasting punishment. This Valley of Hinnom was a real place. In the Old Testament, you see that it was just to the south of Jerusalem. It's just this very narrow valley. And when the Jewish people fell away from God and went and worshipped idols, one of the most despicable idols was Molech. And Molech, what they would do is they would go to this Valley of Hinnom and they would offer up their babies as sacrifices to Moloch and the way that you would do that is you would burn the children to death and so the Valley of Hinnom became known for this and so later on it was so filthy and so vile it became a a garbage dump it'd be the place where you would bring dead animals and dead criminals and all kinds of filth and what they would do is it smelled really bad and so they would just keep a fire burning and burning and burning In this valley burning in Gehenna and this fire was always burning to consume whatever was thrown in there Jesus used the word Gehenna several times referring to this garbage dump referring to this place of waste of sewage of burning flesh of this reeking of dead animals and dead bodies of human waste of maggots and worms and burning flesh of a smell that was beyond sickening that's the glimpse we get of hell hell is nonstop eternal fire eternal destruction torturous suffering and unending pain a place that knows no beauty that will never hear laughter that will never experience peace has no friendships no joy no hope and the people there have no chance luke 16 27 28 says this. This is the rich man talking now when he finds out he's in hell for eternity. He says this. He says, I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And I think there's four things that we can take away from this, four important truths that we can extract from this story, and they're this first thing is the rich man was fully conscious and fully aware. He remembered what life had been like on earth. He remembered all those people that he left behind. He remembered the times where he was free from this suffering, free from this pain and this torture, this loneliness, this anger, this desolation, this depression. He has all his memories, all his pain, all his regrets. Second thing is this is the rich man's eternal dest- destiny was irrevocably fixed. There's no getting out. There's no changing it. Third thing is this this rich man knew that his suffering was fair. His suffering was just. He doesn't complain about, about the pain. He complained about the pain, but he never complained about the injustice. You never see the rich man say this isn't fair. It's not right that I'm here. He knew. He knew it was God's justice, and he knew he was there because that's, that's what he earned. And he also knew what would happen to his brothers if they didn't place their hope in Christ, if they didn't surrender their life over to Christ. And the fourth thing that I think is even more amazing is the rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers to know Jesus. Notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't beg to be let out. I think it's a misconception we have that hell is full of people who suddenly want something to do with God. We live in a world where God's presence is everywhere. The only reason we have a concept of hope of love, of joy, of purpose, of relationship, of value is because of God's presence here on earth. And we are given that choice whether we can accept Him or we can tell Him we want nothing to do with Him. And I don't, I don't see from Scripture that once you're in hell, once you're separated from all of that and you have no hope of joy, you will never experience relationship again. People don't suddenly decide they want something to do with God. They, they are fully given over to their anger, to their lostness. This rich man doesn't beg and plead to be released out. Instead, he begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers to know Jesus. It's easy to hear a sermon about hell and think that it's directed towards the people who are going there. This story isn't just directed towards people who don't know Christ. This is directed towards people who do. Because what we believe about eternity determines how we live today. We all have that calling on our life. Go and read Matthew 28 and Jesus' final words to his disciples. It's called the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion, the Great Commission. If you've surrendered your life to Christ and you're wondering what your life's purpose is, I will tell you today, I can tell you with complete assuredness, your life's purpose is to be that voice to proclaim the goodness of Christ because we recognize what's on the line. And the devil, he wants to convince us that there is no hell. He wants to convince us that we don't have to take the Great Commission seriously, that that's good for other people, but that's not us. We live in a world where people live however they want. That it's easy for us to justify sin. It's easy for us to reject Christ and have no fear of God. You often hear it said, "How can God be loving?" How can it be fair that good people go to hell? Does God send good people to hell? And the answer to that question is no. Rejoice. God doesn't send good people to hell, but the fact of the matter is the word that trips people up is good. God doesn't send good people to hell, but Christ came down and died for us because there are no good people All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's standard, of God's justice. We are not good. We have all sinned. And so you can rest assured that God will never send a good person to hell. But we can also rest assured that no one's good. And that's where plenty of people are going if we don't change our actions. If we continue to sit on the sidelines, if we continue to be okay with that. Maybe as I talk about hell and I've read some of these verses, maybe it's the first time you've heard it. Maybe it's a little shocking to you. Maybe it's a little angering to you. Maybe you feel challenged by that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. God doesn't want us to just sit back in comfort. Worldly comfort is a lie that the enemy uses. It's a snare that Satan allows us to fall into. Worldly comfort, though, is nothing compared to eternal glory. That's what God has for us. Eternal glory, eternal relationship with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever in paradise. And eternity outweighs temporary every time. And so you've heard these for the first time and it's shocking to you. I want to read some more verses. And I want all of you to listen to it in light of what we just talked about. In light of what we see the reality of heaven is and what the reality, the harsh reality, the uncomfortable reality, the painful reality of hell as we go over these verses, I want you to listen to them like it's the first time because we will see that God is holy and he is just. And because he is just, he must must punish sin. But the gospel which means good news is this. He's not just just. God is not only just, God is love. We've talked about his justice See what God says about His love. What does God's word say about his love? And as I read this, I hope you'd be blown away by this, because I know I am every time. knowing what we deserve, knowing what we've earned, and yet God chooses to love us. John 3:16 says, "For God so loved the world that He gave his one and only son." that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We've all heard that verse before. We've all heard it's dangerous to hear it too many times because we become, become complacent with it. Listen to that. Hell is real. We've all earned a place there. But God so loved the world... He didn't give us a system to work it off. He didn't say, if you do this, this, and this, if you earn it, if you do just enough, God says, no, your enough will never be enough, and so instead, my son will die for you. For God so loved the world, him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Romans six twenty three. for the wages of sin is death, but that's not the end of that verse. Paul's not done with what he's saying. For the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe you're not hearing what I'm saying. I feel like we should be celebrating this. For the wage of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. My favorite verse in all of Scripture, probably because I realize what a sinner I am. I don't stand before you as somebody... Who has earned their righteousness as somebody who would ever think that they are good enough? If you want to look at the Ten Commandments, I could tell you a way I checked off just about all of them. And yet, as chief of all sinners, I read Romans 5:8, and my world is rocked by it. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still. Sinners. Did you hear what I just said? Not while we were righteous. Not because we had earned it. Because we had done enough and God said, finally they've earned their salvation. Finally they've earned the right for my son, my beloved, to come down and die for them. No. Not because we were living righteousness, but because we were lost to sin. And because of God's unshakable Unearned, unending, unfathomable love for us. He came down and died for us while we we're still sinners. And verse 9 goes on, and since we've been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly, He will certainly, He will certainly, He will certainly save us from God's condemnation. We understand that hell is a reality. That doesn't mean that we live lives of shame. We live lives of, of fear. We live as victors. We are made more than conquerors. The grave holds no power over Christ, and because of that, it holds no power over you. Because of Christ's death on the cross, He can take the worst of us. He can take an angry, bitter, jealous, prideful drug addict and put him on a stage this morning to proclaim his goodness to you. Not because of anything I've done, but because he is righteous and he is just and he is so loving that he paid every price, every penalty for you. Jesus dying on the cross, we see that our sins are paid for, that God's justice is not subverted, but upheld That that wrath that had been storing up since sin entered the world with Adam and Eve, it was poured out, not on us, but on his son. Not because he was dragged to the cross against his will, but because he loves you and he knew that you needed it. Christ's death on the cross displayed his amazing grace and his unquenchable love. Jesus tells this story of a shepherd with a hundred sheep, and he gets 99 into the pen and sees that one is gone. And suddenly, that one lost sheep becomes more valuable than the 99. Why? Because that one lost sheep needed saving. And so he leaves the 99 to seek after the one. It wasn't a numbers, ga- numbers game for God. God didn't do the math and say, okay, if Christ dies, then this many people will be saved and that's enough. If I were the only sinner that was ever in need of salvation, I have no doubt that Christ would have died for me. John 10.10 tells us the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy and have it to the full. That is why We want people to know him. That is why the church exists. That is why I am up here today proclaiming the reality of heaven and the glory of God and his love for us. It's not just about avoiding hell. That's a great thing. Yes, eternity matters. What we do here on earth matters. And if all I ever got out of Christ's sacrifice was eternity with him, that would be more than worth it. Trust me. But what's even more amazing than that is Christ didn't just come down so that we can be miserable here on earth. I've heard it said that if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, this time on earth is the worst it ever gets. And if you never surrender your life to Christ, this time on earth is the best it ever gets. Christ came and died. Christ came so that we could look forward to eternity, but also so that this life matters, so that we can have life and have it to the fullest. Not so that we can sit on the sidelines, not so that we can live a life that is unchallenged, that is complacent, but God has a bigger plan for all of us. There's a reason that you see a group of fishermen go and change the world. That you see a man who gave up a life of power and prestige and murderous ways. Changed his name to Paul and went and proclaimed the gospel. And while he is in chains, he is in miserable, but he is worshiping God because he's living a life that matters, because we can have life and have it to the fullest. That if we accept Christ, if we live with Christ, we know that we have all love, all joy, all peace, all patience, all kindness, all goodness, all gentleness, all faithfulness, all self-control, that we can have a life that is filled to the brim with goodness, with grace, with hope, and with love. As I'm talking today... I don't know where all of us stand in this room. My hope is that each and every one of us know for certain that our salvation is secured in the sacrifice of Christ. My hope is that all of us have surrendered our life over to Christ knowing that he paid the price and that we know the goodness and the life that we have in him. If you don't know that. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ, don't leave here. Don't be okay with that. Talk to me. Talk to your neighbor. Talk to the first face you see in this room so they can tell you what a loving God we serve. But I would guess for most of us as we've surrendered our life to Christ. Our eternity is secured, and we look forward to one minute after we die, we will spend paradise with him. But here's the challenge. What are we going to do with that information? As I'm talking this morning, as I was writing this sermon, I couldn't help but think of those family members I have, of those neighbors that I have, those people that I encounter in my life that are living lost those people that desperately need to know Him, and they will never know Him if I don't step out of my comfort zone. My challenge for you is this. Think of that name. Think of that person. Picture that face. And then do something about it. Understand that there is a reality that waits for people that is eternal punishment And there's a reality that Christ bought for us. That Christ bought for them, and they just simply need to surrender. They simply need that voice to speak the truth in their life and allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. Can we this morning step out of our comfort zones? Can we be a people who are so shaken by what awaits people That we would be willing to step out and sacrifice anything, including our lives, if it meant bringing hope and truth and faith to that one person, I would hope that would be each and every one of us this morning because God's justice is real and his love conquers all. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray this morning. Thank you so much for listening. For more information on Northview Church, please visit NorthviewUtah.com.